to the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. It's Wednesday evening. I just finished watching the Kenny Omega-Brian Danielson match, and I am on cloud nine after watching that one. What a fantastic match. If you would have told me, you know, earlier this year that on an episode of Dynamite, we would see a possible match of the year contender like that, I... I mean, I might have believed you, but, you know, wait and see. But what a fantastic match. I mean, this whole episode of Dynamite has just been fantastic. It's going on in the background now as I'm recording this. But I wanted to uh, wanted to make sure I got this podcast uh, up and out so that uh, I could uh, share this great episode with you. So I was lucky enough to have a guest on this week with someone with over 20 years of experience in uh, Canadian independent wrestling. So, I was joined by Thrillin Dylan. He has wrestled all over, all over Canada. You're going to hear some great stories of the uh, the Winter Death tours, um, and just hearing, you know, about early Winnipeg independent wrestling. You know, uh, top rope championship wrestling, some CWF. Uh, Thrillin Dylan's been he's been through it all, and. Uh, Currently out in Saskatchewan, representing uh, that great territory out there. So, I mean, I'm going to just get right to it. And coming up now on the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, Thrillin' Dylan. So, what was it that first got you interested in wrestling? I mean, honestly, for me, I think as a kid, the very first thing was uh, seeing the wrestling figures on the store shelves. Uh, and I remember just thinking they were cool. They were, of course, the big LJN, those rubber figures. And uh, yeah. and I thought they were just the coolest things in the store. And mm-hmm. so I got those. And then I started watching the show WWF on TV. And uh, I mean, from there, I mean, you know how it is. You just get hooked. And uh, when I when I got into high school, a company in in my, my home city here, Virginia, uh, started up a wrestling company called Hardcore Wrestling. And my brother knew one of the wrestlers, my older brother knew, knew one of the wrestlers. And so we got uh, a chance to help take the ring down. And once mm-hmm. I had my foot in the door, you know, helping on ring crew, it was from there, I just kept going, you know, so yeah, sure. I can do sound. Sure. Yeah. I can do security. Sure. I can, I can skip school and come to Saskatoon for that show too. <laughs> and it just kept going and going and going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you transitioned right into my next thing was getting your start into it. And I mean, as a kid, being able to be that up close and personal, that must be, must have been quite the experience, you know, when you're that invested into it. Yeah, so I guess I was probably doing ring crew and sound at about the age of 15. And, uh, you know, wrestling encouraged me to get my my driver's license just so I could make sure to hit the shows uh, mm-hmm. any anytime I, I needed to. and. Um, but yeah, I would do ring crew and then I would sit in the front row and, and watch the show and, and be a fan. And so uh, that's when I was in high school. And then, you know, once once I, I think it was by the time I was in grade 12, I was training already mm-hmm. for wrestling. And yeah, and, and it was I mean, it was it was a hell of a time. For, 
I, I walked around like I had the coolest job in the world in high school, uh, mm-hmm. but no, nobody cared that I worked <laughs> at a wrestling at a wrestling company, but I did, you know, and mm-hmm. that's all that mattered. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know what? I think there's a, there was a few people back then, I, even when I was in high school, because I mean, growing up, I always thought like, oh, I'd love to, you know, be a wrestler, get into it. And then like, maybe I'll build a ring one day. And it's always just hopes and dreams, but it's uh, just the thought of it, you know? Yeah, for sure. It, you know, it's, a, it's a hell of an experience. Oh, for sure. Uh, so you had mentioned, you know, you had started training when you're in grade 12. And I mean, you learned from Charlie Hayes, Rex Roberts, massive damage. You had mentioned they had trained you. What was it like learning from those guys? Well, you know, at first uh, <clears throat> there were some walls to break down. They didn't want to, they didn't want to just let me train right away. They wanted me to, they told me finish your damn high school. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, they encouraged me to go to university, which I did eventually, but I didn't do right away. But um uh, yeah, so I mean, they were responsible in that way for sure. Mm-hmm. But the, um, you know, the reality is, I, I honestly think they had a little bit more of an old school mentality. Uh, you know, Charlie Hayes really likes that that older style of wrestling. You know, you know, seventies, eighties, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's kind of that's kind of what what came with it. The psychology of of knowing of knowing when to do things and why to do things, and and that was a big part of it before before we got too involved in, in doing things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember it was, we, I, I did a year of training before wrestling my first match. And uh, it was a lot of time. It was just repetition, repetition. So, I mean, they wanted those bumps. Perfect. They wanted, mm-hmm. you know, we would do chain wrestling activities for an hour and, and it would go and go and go. And I mean, man, when I was young, I could go, you know, I think I've slowed down a little bit. I'm 39 years old, but uh, when I was young, I, I could really go for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Now, I mean, you debuted with Top Rope Championship Wrestling, correct? Yes, in Winnipeg, yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, that was the first indie show I ever went to. And I think the, the one I went to, it was at uh, the Travel Lodge over on Fermore. And uh, we, you know, it was a group of us going and one of the wrestlers actually got hurt. Like I think it was the first or second match and that was it for the crowd. But uh, talk about your debut in top rope because you, you went by Noah mad originally, correct? Yeah, that's true. You might be getting like the, like breaking the story, you know, this might be the first ever source to, to, to make that known to the world. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was, the, I don't know if it was the best kept secret in uh, my career, but um, yeah, the reality is, <clears throat> I debuted as Noah Mad. Mm-hmm. I had the mask covering like half the face, which, which we're all quite used to now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back, back then, nobody was doing it. But, uh, um, and yeah, I had uh, you know the army pants, and and I think they called me the Matt terrorist and that sort of thing. Uh, and so yeah, I, I played a lot on on the Madman. It was really just a combination of Sabu and Mankind. Those were mm-hmm. my two. You know, I'll just combine what I see them do and, and try to build something from there. Um, my first match was against Vance Nevada. I remember mm-hmm. being back in the locker room. Um, and yeah, it was, it was at a bar. And so the change room was like, uh, uh, it was like a hotel bar. So the change room was like this, you know, conference room or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, we were taking the, uh, we had, I was all geared up. So, you know, get the, get the promo pictures for the eight by tens or for the, you know, for the, uh, uh, 
programs. We used to do programs back in the day. Anyways, so yeah, I'm doing these promo. I'm doing these promo shots, and and uh, Vance Vad is behind the camera trying to rib, trying to get me to, to look at him and do stupid things. And that was sort of the first, um, the really the first. Uh, I don't know how do I say, but <clears throat> that was me really being you know just brought into into the wrestling world and mm-hmm. seeing uh seeing Vance rib me that was that was that was fun just because I'd seen him rib other people and, and you know I, I up until that point I was somewhat invisible you know but now I'm here wrestling on a card and and so uh he he talked to me a little bit before the match and uh you know we went 10 minutes to the, to the T right to the T, you know, the, the ring announcer says 10 minutes gone, 10 minutes. And it's one, two, three, ding, 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 ding. Like it was, it was exactly 10 minutes. And I mean, the match was, the match was fine. It was, it was pretty, I didn't go crazy. I didn't do anything uh, to hurt myself. And, you know, I just kind of tried to remain low key. Vance got the win with a big uh, crossbody off the top rope. Mm-hmm. I mean, it must have made things a little bit easier when, you know, you're backstage beforehand and he's, you know, doing the jokes and everything. With it being your first match going into it, that must, you know, take the uh, take the pressure off quite a bit. Yeah, it, it's funny because uh, that there's there's nothing quite like that nerves you would get before your first match because mm-hmm. you don't know what it's like. You can do all the training in the world, but when you're in front of a crowd, you know, the there's no way to describe that first match nerves every match since, you know, you, a lot of people, you'll still get the nerves before the match, but uh, it's a very different feeling. That first one, it's, it's pure terror. Like it's mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, you get out there and, and if your training is good enough, you're, you're able to just, it's like, like Jean-Claude Van Damme, man, just close your eyes and think back to the training, you know, and, and, <laughs> and it, it all falls into place. Oh, definitely. Now, I mean, you did you did quite a bit of wrestling for uh, you know Winnipeg based promotions because you also did some work with CWF as well, correct? Yes, the Canadian Wrestling Federation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now that was run by Ernie Todd, and you guys did tons of the tours. I was looking up some of the uh, some of the uh, match listings earlier, and it it seemed like it was you know a group of guys, and you were wrestling two or three times on those cards. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We, uh, you know, we would do CWF where they would have, you know, shot after shot after shot after shot after shot lined up and we could do probably two weeks on the road, which was awesome because I was, I was like 20 years old and, and, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of responsibility and I could just get away with doing that, leaving for two weeks and coming back with a pocket full of wrestlers money. And, um, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it was awesome because we, a lot of these communities we'd have to fly into because they're, they're remote reserves in Northern Ontario, Northern Manitoba. And, uh, we'd, we'd fly into there and the, the kids and the wrestling fans, they'd be just so excited because I mean, a wrestling show is coming to town and here's all the wrestlers. And, and so the, the hockey arenas or, or wherever it was, you know, they'd be packed, you know, and mm-hmm. the kids would be screaming and the, the crowds would be just ecstatic and, um, it was really like a privilege to be able to be part of those shows. And I was on, on the show with guys like uh, Gene Swan, uh, Baron Von Beener. Now he wrestles his, his dick blood, I think. And Jesus, uh, um, the whole bunch of guys. It's funny. I was just talking to the easy rider uh, last night about the Ernie Todd shows. Cause he did all of those shows too, but we had just missed each other. 
Mm-hmm. And so right when he left uh, CWF, it's kind of when I joined CWF. And uh, it's funny, Easy, he was in he was in hardcore wrestling when I was doing sound, but he never really knew who I was because I was just some some invisible kid. <laughs> and uh, and then, um, yeah, with some more Regina shows, I was there. He was he wasn't then he was and I wasn't. And then and then same with CWF. And like he knew all the guys like Crusher Carlson and Massive Damage and all them. But so for 20 some years, you know, Easy and I were just wrestling in all these same different companies and never seeing each other, never crossing paths. You know, mm-hmm. he was on a show. I was on a show. We just kept missing each other. And this show uh, last night was the first show that we were on together in 20 years. So he he was kind of like, where the hell, who are you? Where, where, how have I never heard of you or seen you or, you know, wrestled you? And so that's pretty cool because we got to have a, a, a nice, solid match mm-hmm. out in New York. Then. And I mean, I was going to bring it up later, but since you've talked, you were mentioning it, like that must be kind of a nice feeling because I know you were familiar with him growing up you know being an independent wrestler in Canada I mean it's you you see you know whether it's the weekly shows on TV the small promotions that have it but you're familiar with them you get to know them and getting the chance to actually wrestle with him it's got to be a good feeling for yourself yeah for for that match in particular was pretty awesome just because like I said, when I was in high school, I was wrestling. I was a wrestling fanatic, and uh, I had I you know subscription to PWI magazine. And when the PWI 500 came out, I had memorized. I swear to God, memorized the list. I'd read it back to front. You got to start at the back. You got to start back to front. I don't care what anyone says. With the 500, <laughs> 500, you start at the back. And uh, and yeah, I remember seeing Easy Rider's name, and it, you know from Winnipeg, Manitoba, you know wrestles for. Uh, I can't remember at the time which company it would have been, but uh, yeah. And so that was my first introduction to Easy Rider was in the wrestling magazines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's in, that's in, that's a bygone era in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, they would only hear about someone in a wrestling magazine as opposed to all the internet stuff. So 24 years later, seeing, you know, shaking his hand before a match is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that's one thing, you know, growing up watching wrestling in the 80s and even early 90s, you know, because I remember my mom would come home from work and she'd bring a wrestling magazine. So it'd be like, you know, I remember it'd be, you know, PWI, it was like the 1989 year in review or something like that. And as an eight year old, you're reading that and seeing like, oh, okay, Ric Flair or, you know, AWA and WCCW and all this stuff. And it's all brand new. So you, you get familiar with all these wrestlers. Yeah, and and it, it created a certain level of imagination and anticipation, and and you know it, it it created a feeling of being in the know. You know that was that's how you knew, and you know all the big biggest fans read all the good magazines, and you know so I was a big fan of magazines. I still have a whole stack of them in the shed. All my all the old ones. I I regret getting rid of mine because I would love to be able to flip through those now because like back then I knew nothing about him, but I hated Jerry Lawler just because, you know, he bloodied up Kerry Von Erich, but you know, then you live and learn a little bit and there's so much more to it than just, you know, seeing it through a child's eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now you, you did quite a few of the, uh, winter tours, you know, early two thousands. I was wondering if you could share, you know, some stories about that. Well, yeah. So you know, a lot of wrestlers they talk about the the ice road tours, the 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 winter hell tours. I don't know. They got all kinds of names for them. 
um, honestly, I can't remember the year. It was early 2000s, but uh, we, we had an ice road tour booked with the CWF. And so oh, can I name every guy on that tour? So it would have been me, Gene Swan, Dick Blood, Rex Roberts, Billy Bones, who at the time, I believe, uh, let's just call him Billy Bones. Uh, who else would have been there? Uh, Justin Time, but what the hell does he wrestle as now? Um, camera, he gets so mad because I always call him Justin Time, and he's like, <laughs> "No, I don't, I don't wrestle like this that anymore." <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, there, there's there's a few more of us. But so we had the we had to drive out to Sioux Lookout Drive to Pickle Lake, and then we stayed the night in Pickle Lake, Ontario. And then from Pickle Lake, you can hit up this, you go straight up into the forest, and you're hitting on winter roads, and I mean, it's just hours and hours of of bouncing around inside this minivan that we had, were driving in. And uh, eventually hours into it, uh, Ernie Todd's ring truck got stuck in the snow and we tried everything to get it out. We couldn't get it out. And he said, you just, you just go ahead, just go ahead to the next shot. And, uh, and, you know, when you get there, let, let them know we're stuck. And so we drove ahead, super naive thinking it's gotta be close, but we're, we're out driving for, it had to be, it was hours more. It was, it was probably five hours. We're still driving and like, nowhere near we don't know where they are you just keep going <laughs> we had we had crossed the lake um at one point and there was a truck that was partially sunk into the lake um but you know you just keep going there, there was nobody in the truck the guy you know the the, the rescue mission was complete but the truck <laughs> was obviously still there so yeah you just keep going and so hours later we had crossed where <clears throat> we came up with these huge tires just like like you know monster truck tires just laying on the middle of the road and they were thinking, well, what the hell? We just we just have to kind of back up and, and go real fast and drive around these tires to where the snow is a little deeper and stuff. And somehow we, we managed to get past those tires. But then the road was really rough because, as I said, we were super naive, dumb kids. And um, so we're, we're now in this dual sliding door minivan and we're starting to get stuck. So we started jumping out of the van and, and pushing alongside. Like how much further are we going to go, to be honest? It's just, just ridiculous. But the van gets stuck. Mm-hmm. we're we're just on this road there's no getting the van out. it's just sunk right into the snow and uh and so there's, we're hooped man there's nothing we can do and so we had uh <laughs> we had like no food except i think a stick of beef jerky or something like that <laughs> and, oh man there was we had like jerry cans uh because you have to we have to, you fill up jerry cans and then you drive until you have to fill up and you, you mm-hmm. fill up with the jerry cans on the road we're we had like this much gas in one of our jerry cans. And so Gene Swan and uh, Dick Blood, basically they had, they had good winter gear. So they, they packed like dressed up, you know, snow pants, the, the, the snow jackets and everything. And, and they said, we're going to just start walking towards where the reserve is supposed to be. And they said, if we're not back in an hour, I want you to start the forest on fire. That was Gene Swan's advice. So use a little <laughs> bit of use the gasoline and set the set the trees on fire. And we're like, okay, man, because you know it, the legit fear is, you know, we're just gonna die here. Yeah. That's that's what Gene's thinking. You know, so I'd rather have the force because if, if forest on fire, someone's gonna find us. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we waited about. I think it was probably two hours, and they weren't back. And we're like, okay, let's see what we can do i guess we'll, you know and we we poured gasoline on a tree and 
gasoline lit up, <laughs> crawls up the tree, and then it's just so bloody cold and windy. It just fire just peters right up, and then that was it. That was that was the end of the rescue mission there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we had we didn't know what else to do, so all we could do was wait, and we we ended up creating this really sad little fire that was supposed to keep us warm. There's I have on VHS tape because we had a, a camcorder and we we're recording, but we had like minute of battery life. And so there's somewhere I, I got on this tape of, of us actually huddled around. Oh, Zach Mercury was also there with us. That's right. So it's Rex and Zach Mercury huddled around this sad little fire. And they're talking about, you know, we're stranded in the middle of nowhere and it's Ontario and we hours from any civilization for sure. And so uh, the crazy thing was, uh, uh, is 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 how bad it could have gone because mm-hmm. we had no idea where where gene and and blood were and so basically we sat in that van until until night it, it ended up where i remember at one point we heard a plane fly by and we jumped out of the plane like you see them doing tv shows we're waving our arms around and nothing they just kept flying what are they gonna do right <laughs> and so um, and so yeah we end up we end up uh it's we can the sun's going down. So we got stuck. I remember it was like 6.59 a.m. Like mm-hmm. It was like, that's when we got stuck. And uh, nighttime had started to come and, and we heard a snowmobile in the distance. It's like, and it's getting louder. And so we jump out of the van and this guy um, jumps, or he was from the community. The community was Big Trout Lake or Kitchenu Meku Siba Ninuig is what the... Uh, it's funny you never for certain details you just don't forget so the, the community of kitchen who sent somebody out because hey weren't the wrestlers supposed to show up tonight or you know what's going on there mm-hmm. and so somebody just drove a snowmobile out they ended up uh finding gene swan and dick blood walking and they were frozen and uh he had brought sandwiches and everything that they had stashed into their jackets so so they're getting a ride on the snowmobile they, mm-hmm. There's only enough for one guy. So one guy would latch on and they'd drive however long and then drop him off. And then some of you would drive back, pick up the next guy. It was ridiculous, man. <laughs> I don't know how the hell we survived, but I'll tell you, within within 15 minutes of being there, the guy, uh, his name was Danny, the guy who rescued us on the snowmobile. Within 15 minutes, he had this like 10-foot bonfire in this area that he had stomped out of the snow. The snow was like four feet deep. So he had stomped out the circle. So there's this, like, I swear the, the, the circle itself was 10 feet. The fire had to be six feet. It was, it made us look like the dumbest city kids in the world. <laughs> he had this insane fire going, you know, in minutes. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know how he did it, but he ended up, he had a radio, he radioed back to the community and he ended up having snow plows come snow plows, chained us up pulled us around like had to turn us around they gassed us up and then we drove just drove straight back that it was like i said it was about five hours it felt like and so we just drove five hours back to ernie todd in the ring truck mm-hmm. so it was ernie todd and the referee who was gene swan's brother uh and so they would have been i think so we were stuck for at least 12 hours it seemed like it was probably a little more than 12 hours probably like 12 to 18 hours to be honest and then so plus the five hours and five hours so there's like 10 it was about 36 hours like in total but ernie the first thing when ernie saw us the first thing he said because they were just still in the truck just sitting there 
And he's like, I thought you guys were dead. Just, <laughs> didn't know. Didn't know. And uh, we, we ended up getting the ring truck unstuck at that point and just went straight back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, it, it was the ultimate feeling of, of defeat of yet survival, you know, and, and, and I remember we didn't have uh, what we were told was there was no budget in the tour for an extra night at this hotel. So if we want to stay in the hotel. That's, that's on our, on our wallets to do so. And uh, we didn't have money for extra night in hotel. So what we had to do is uh, go to the bar and um, had to rely on the, on the good looks of some of the younger wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> They'd get us a place to sleep that night. And yeah, we did. I remember sleeping that night with my jacket as a blanket and my wrestling bag as a pillow on the floor of just an abandoned bedroom. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> you know what? Like hearing a story like that, I mean, the the winter tours or the, the tours up to the northern communities, you hear the stories of it, but it seems like if you were a part of it and you experienced something, it was almost like it was I don't want to say life-changing, but it was definitely something that you will never forget. Yeah, for sure. And the, the reality of it is, so we missed those shots in, in Kitchen and Makasubininuig and had to go straight out back mm-hmm. on the winter road to the next shot. And so, <laughs> and so we just, I just remember that feeling of here we go again, you know, yeah. and we made it to the next community. The next community was called uh Kiwebin. Uh, and, um, and you know the the tour the tour went on and so that was pretty uh, i mean it was a good experience you know i remember thinking oh i get to i get to see what those those winter hell tours are going to be like you know Mm this will be fun (laughs) it wasn't it was (laughs) little did you know yeah i mean even when you are doing those uh the tours to some of those smaller northern communities i mean they are isolated to a lot of things. So like, you know, you guys coming in, you mentioned before, they're, they're excited for the wrestling to come. Like it's gotta be, you know, a great feeling for you guys knowing that you're being able to share this with them, but it also has to be eye opening just to how different things are, you know, in some of those communities as they are to the big city. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It is. I know that some of the yeah, communities we were in, uh, I mean, you can tell like they're not, they're not doing well with housing. They're not doing well with running water, uh, you know, and it's an issue that persists to this day. And it's, mm-hmm. it's still talked about widely. Uh, I remember one of the communities was called uh, Kashechuan and uh, they were in the news. It was a few years after we had done some shows there uh, a few years after that, they, they were in the news because the water was giving the, the kids um, like some kind of skin disease basically. And like it was, there, there, there was images and, and you're seeing these images on the news of, of the community you wrestled in. And you know, some of those kids were at the wrestling show that you were at and they were screaming their lungs out here and having a good time. And yeah, it's, it's a humbling experience for sure too. Mm-hmm. It seems like such a stupid thing that, you know, I'm going to put on a pair of spandex and, and head out there and, and wrestle a match. Uh, but when you, when you compare it to that context of, of just giving these kids something to, just forget it all for one night and just scream and yell and have fun. You know, it's pretty awesome. Oh, for sure. I mean, you've been wrestling for quite a while now. Like what, what kind of toll does it take on your body? Uh, you know, 
there's definitely days where where I feel it. You know, I've had uh, I tore my ACL in 2005, and I just kind of kept wrestling. I didn't get it fixed, bandaged it up, and I was a tag champ at the time, and I had to lose the uh, you know <clears throat> we couldn't just back then, you know, like Samoa Joe just relinquished the NXT title because he's injured and mm-hmm. Finn Balor has, or not Finn Balor, Daniel Bryan has done that. How many times, you know, he's injured back in the day, man, if you're, if you're injured and you're the champ, you, you wrestle till you lose the belt, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you lose the belt. That's, that's what you, you get. You got to lose it in a match. Mm-hmm. You don't just get to resign the title like that. And uh, so, yeah, I tore my ACL bandaged up the knee, went out there again, um, ended up losing a match, lost the titles, and still didn't take time off after that, and, and still sort of kept wrestling. And and um, it wasn't until ten years later that I actually got surgery on that knee. Mm-hmm. And like it's insane, it's stupid to think about. I probably should have went to the emergency room the night I tore my ACL, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'd have me in surgery the next morning. I bet, but <laughs> but um, you know. It's funny. I, I think when I was younger, I could just keep going and going and going. And, you know, nowadays, not that I'm old and feeble by any means, but uh, after after an event, you know, I definitely move in slower the next day. Mm-hmm. You don't like to, you know, when when you're trying to chase your kids around or something like that and you're, and you're selling wrestling injuries, it kind of sucks. <laughs> but oh, <for> um, <laughs> But yeah, that's the reality of it. I, I think that, you know, there's been a lot of guys who, who have done this more frequently than I have. And so, you know, when I was younger, I was doing it a lot more frequently. Now it's, it's once or twice a month and mm-hmm. that helps, that helps, but it's also harder to get into that zone and uh, it's harder to, harder to recover. I think if you, if you can do a, a few nights in a row, it's not so bad, but if, you know, if you do one night and then stop your body kind of like, what the hell is that? You know? Yeah feeling it a little more yeah it's sort of like you know when you're working out you know if you just work out one day and then decide not to for three weeks and go back i mean you're gonna feel it but if you can at least do it a couple times a week and get into the rhythm and routine then it's not as bad yeah yeah and the pandemic was horrible because there was that that indescribable itch to need to wrestle and that that absence of that in in your life is pretty rough Mm -hmm. i think even wrestling fans felt it Oh, for sure. Cause I think, you know, now you're seeing a lot more independent shows there, they're being able to run. Um, and I think the, uh, the excitement for those and the, uh, just the overall atmosphere, it's definitely increased even more than how it was before. Yeah. The fans, like I said, in Yorkton, uh, the last night with CWE, their fans were, were wild. We're doing shows in Regina here with ringside wrestling, you know, the, the, they're packing the place and the, the crowd is into it. So that's, mm-hmm. that's great. Now for a little while, or yeah, you've been doing ringside for a few years now, correct? Yes. I always get the years wrong. Was it 2016? I joined, I think it was 2016. Might've been 2017. Yeah. Now what's it been like wrestling for them? Because I know like uh, I, I've talked to, you know, Davey O'Doyle. I think he's wrestled for them as well. And, you know, there's quite a few guys who have gone through there. What's been your experience with them so far? Ringside's awesome. Um, the, they truly put on like a great family show. They're a family-run organization. Uh, they, they, they use a lot of the local guys. You know, usually a few guys coming from Winnipeg, not all the time, but uh, 
and I, I think it, it's it's truly, I mean, it, it as far as the it's it's the show Runner and Regina, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, I always think of it in my mind just to, as the territories. A lot of people like to think the territory system is dead, and in, in some some ways they're right, but I think in some ways they're wrong. Man, the Regina Territory has been running since 1996, mm-hmm. and and you know I've been there. I was there for hardcore wrestling when I was just in high school. I was there for World of High Impact Pro Wrestling, which later evolved into High Impact Wrestling, and I was there for that. And then I was there for High Impact Wrestling's you know newer era, and then I was there for Ringside Wrestling. So I mean, I've been in the Regina Territory. Uh, I've seen all the Winnipeg guys come and go and travel and. And I've been to Winnipeg, I've been to Alberta, Ontario, Manitoba, but my home base is always that Regina territory. And mm-hmm. so uh, when people say the territory system isn't, isn't alive and well anymore, I kind of think, well, if it's not where that, well, what am I, what's Regina, you know, that's mm-hmm. Regina territory, man. And, and CWE will come and do shows here too, but, but we have our style, we have our guys, we have the guys who are, who were born here, trained here and, and you know, they, they, you know, in Alberta, those guys have a name, they call them the Sasky boys, you know, and in Manitoba back when I was younger, it was the same sort of thing. We, you know, the Regina guys are coming, here's the Regina guys, you know, so. Uh, you know, it is true though, because I mean, Manitoba and Winnipeg, they have their promotions, you know, Saskatchewan has theirs, Alberta has theirs, and it might not be as magnified as it was, you know, in the eighties and such, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. And I mean, Canadian wrestling as a whole, it's alive and well, and you're seeing, you know, more promotions kicking up, you're seeing new things and it's important to, uh, to put that spotlight on the, the wrestlers of Canada. Yeah, for sure. There's serious talent happening in Canada without a mm-hmm. doubt. You see guys, I mean, <clears throat> Ginger Mahal, you know, trained out of Calgary and mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of shows in Alberta. A lot of guys know him. Same with the, like the Bollywood boys there. Um, I mean, we don't even have to obviously go into guys like Kenny Omega and uh, uh, Chris Jericho, Don Callis, all out of Winnipeg. I mean, yeah, there's there's serious talent happening in in Canada, without mm-hmm. a doubt. No, it's just a matter of everyone else realizing that and knowing that Canadian wrestling is alive and well. Um, before we wrap things up, I got a few more questions for you. Yeah, you've been you know involved in wrestling for almost over 20 years what's the best piece of advice that you could give anyone getting into it now best piece of advice definitely has to be looking back at those guys who were before us um you cannot lose the wisdom they brought into this industry if you know veterans talk to them ask them questions ask them about the matches ask them about psychology if you don't know any veterans and, you know, there's easy ways to do research these days and you need to find that kind of stuff out. And um, I think the industry style has changed. <clears throat> it's always changing. Every generation, it changes, but I think now it changes a little more rapidly. And I think a big part of that is because a huge influx of younger wrestling talent comes in. Uh, and that huge influx means there's just, there's less, for lack of a better term, there's less veterans per capita, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, so you, you lose that, that advice, that wisdom and, um, you know, easy rider, an example, when I was 
you know, wrestling him in New York and he kept talking about the importance of that opening match and setting the tone for the crowd. And, and he wanted the right tone for that match. He wanted the right psychology for that match. And, uh, you know, and that's just an example of, of, you know, how long should that first match be? There, there, there's certain things you, you do and you don't do. And, and it's funny, this is off on a little tangent here, but there's a story about these elephants somewhere in a country in Africa. And they would, these, these elephants would rampage the village. They'd come into a village and they'd destroy the village. And people were like, why are these elephants destroying the village? They didn't know why. And they brought in um, some sort of elephant expert that try to see if these elephants could stop destroying the village. And what this person told them was, these are all, these are all teen elephants. They're all young. There's no elders in their herd. Mm-hmm. And all they did was bring in an elder elephant and introduce them to the herd and the rampage of the villages stopped because they had guidance how to be an elephant <laughs> and so you know that's kind of the moral of the story is you know you need that older generation to guide you and um it's i see people get defensive when re- older wrestlers online offer advice and people will jump on that wrestler and then and, and kind of you don't need to yeah, it just it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. The older generation knows. Listen mm-hmm. to them. Oh, for sure. Um, what about favorite matches that you have been a part of? If there's any certain ones that stand out to you that you, you look back at fondly. Yeah, well, I I wrestled uh, Rex Roberts 2003, I think, at the Pump Roadhouse here in Regina. We had a uh, it was like a hardcore match, and uh, to me that was one of the wildest matches I've mm-hmm. ever had. I have, again, I have clips of it on, on a VHS tape, <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, like, like, and we are doing stuff that <clears throat> back then, man, 2003, like her run off the top rope on a stack of chairs, you know, you know, the, the table spots, back body drop on the hardwood floor, uh, uh VCR spot, believe it or not, what the hell is a VCR spot? You say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all sorts of crap. Yeah. So that was, that was a wild one. That was one of my favorite matches for sure. Um, did another one in. I think it was January 2013 against uh, high impact wrestling champion Robbie Gamble. Well, I don't know if you know who Robbie Gamble is, but he had a probably a good five year career here in Regina, and he was awesome. He was super mm-hmm. super talented guy in the ring, and uh, yeah, that match against Robbie Gamble at the Victoria Club in Regina, January 2013. I remember after that match, I lost. I you know you hear the three count, and I just remember sort of feeling like holy crap. Like, I don't know that I've ever been in a match like that, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. that was pretty wild. And then, you know, I think about those communities up north where you'd have 700 people and and they're just screaming at the top of their lungs. Mm-hmm. We did a show in, in Churchill, Manitoba once. And I remember like the kids were just screaming so loud. Like it, it was like it was like the, the bloody Beatles, man. Like, it's just, <laughs> like what is, and it's just absolutely surreal. And so you know, the match doesn't stand out so much as it is, as it is that crowd reaction. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah. Um, you know, I had some pretty good ones with, with mental here at ringside wrestling for sure. Uh, uh, Jeff Tyler and I, there's one on YouTube, Jeff Tyler and I had a really good match in uh, here in Regina at the, like, we have a radio station, the wolf, they do a Halloween howl each year. And so we got to do a wrestling show at the, at the Halloween party there for the wolf. And, 
it was just a crazy match. I remember getting thrown outside the ring and fans were kicking me and everything like that because there was no barricades and they were standing. And so it was, and they weren't wrestling fans. They were there for a concert and, and beer, right? And yeah. so the wrestling was kind of a sideshow. And so, yeah, it's, it's always fun to try to capture those those minds because, mm-hmm. you know, they're not they're not wrestling fans. They're just watching these two guys do crazy things. So, yeah, there's a, there's a short list of some of my most memorable ones. That's awesome. Now, what about any favorite matches as a fan? Because, I mean, you've been involved for it for so long. So you've been able to experience many different eras, different, you know, promotions and all that. Any matches to you that stick out that you've been able to watch? Yeah, I, I back in the day, I remember doing just ordering tapes online of ECW and, you know, getting to see, you know, like uh, Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero. Uh, you know, before that match was so hotly talked about as one of the best matches in ECW history, I remember seeing it on VHS way back then. So those guys in ECW, awesome. Um, I would say uh, I'm a huge fan. And honestly, these days, like it, it's, I find there's less like, like standout matches these days that come to mind as, oh, that's going to be an all-time classic. But for me, Sheamus. Sheamus is absolutely killing it in his latest run he did with the U.S. title there. His matches are unreal. Every every time he's on, I'm like, I got to watch Sheamus' match because mm-hmm. um, he's going hard. And I don't think anyone's really performing at anywhere near his level, but that's just my thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember uh, Davey Boy Smith versus, versus Bret Hart at a December in your house. I think it was... Um, probably like 97 or something like that. But yeah, that was a hell of a match. So it was, it was Bret Hart was world champ. Davey boy was camp cornet, I think at the time still. And uh, awesome match. Unreal. I think. Um, did, yeah. I'm pretty sure Brett, Brett got busted open and, and you know, they did the whole, it was just everything. Great match. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. If, do you know that one? Do you know that one that I'm talking about? It, it sounds familiar, but I'm like, I'm blending it into the, in your house that was in Winnipeg back in like the mid nineties. So it's all kind of blurring together right now. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura versus, versus um, Sami Zayn in NXT. I mm-hmm. think that was Nakamura's debut. Yeah. Like I can't imagine. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, a guy comes in very first match in a new company doesn't have much U.S. experience, if any at all, and Sami Zayn and him were able to. I think it was one of the best NXT matches of all time, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know how the hell they did it. And I don't think Nakamura has had a had a, anywhere near that level of match since. Nope. So whatever magic formula Zayn got that night, they need to try to replicate. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'll throw a shout out to uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey at their their Iron Woman match there they did I think mm-hmm. uh, was it NXT Brooklyn takeover yeah, Brooklyn? yeah was that one of the Brooklyn takeovers yeah, yeah I think that that sort of set the tone for for a new era for sure as well I think that's a pretty important match um, awesome well I appreciate you joining me now to people listening where can they find you online if you got anything to plug or anything like that yeah for sure uh, you can follow me on Facebook just you know, search Thrillin' Dylan. The trick is spelling it right because most people don't ever spell it right. So I'm going to spell it right now for everybody. T-H-R-Y-L-L-I-N apostrophe 
D-Y-L-A-N, Thrillin' Dylan. So you can find me on Facebook, Thrillin' Dylan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Thrillin' Dylan. Same spelling, no apostrophe, no spaces. And on Instagram, at Thrillin' Dylan. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Hey, man. My pleasure. Anytime. It was a lot of fun having Thrillin' Dylan on, hearing those stories and just his experiences in wrestling so far. And, I mean, I always like hearing about the, you know, years prior of Winnipeg local wrestling, you know. Um, as I'd mentioned, my one of my first shows was going to a top rope championship wrestling show. So being able to hear stuff like that and people who have experienced it and been a part of it, I really, really like that. You know, I love talking about the current promotions, but always hearing about the the past, you know, it uh, brings up the nostalgia and stuff like that. So thank you so much to Thrill and Dylan for joining me. Check him out on uh, his social media, throw him a follow, and, uh, you know, just uh, it was, he was a, a great guy and just a, a pleasure to have on. So thank you so much to him. Thank you for checking out the podcast. I truly appreciate it. I'll say it every time. Thank you very much. Um, you can find me if you aren't already on up on Twitter at GreenMakerPod. You can send me an email, GreenMakerPodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, uh, GreenMaker Wrestling Podcast. It's Facebook.com slash GreenMaker Wrestling Podcast. I post some stuff on there, you know, the all, different matches that I don't normally post on Twitter. And I'm not sure how many people still still use the Facebook, but I figured, hey, why not? So once again, thank you so much for uh, checking out the podcast. We're up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, I think Google Podcasts. So if you want to throw a, a rating up on there, maybe a red review, I would really appreciate it. So thank you once again for checking out the podcast. I've got another great interview coming out next week. I was super stoked on that one. Can't wait to share that with you guys as well. Until then, thanks. Have a good one.